Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Starfield Raw. This is episode 20. I might have like cheering and fanfare in the background. We made, we hit the big 2-0, and I am joined by my the co-host that I would never want to do this show without or have do it with anyone else but these two gentlemen, starting with... We can't we can't celebrate 20. We got to wait for one more episode. Why? Because then we're legal. <laughs> and I we mean, are joined. Technically, technically we, got some... we did do a point five episode, so hey, hey you're talking so... out of order, sir, <laughs> Mister Archon. Mister Archon doesn't understand his place. Okay. <laughs> uh, we are excited to do this show for you guys. Um, Rook and I had a random happenstance chance that led into something awesome. And this show is going to be largely about that, which we'll get into that a little bit later. If you listen to Raw and Nerdy, you kind of know already what's coming. But we also have some bonus content coming for you guys after the show. So when you look at this show and it's an extra long episode, it's because of that. All right. So we're going to get into our weeks because I had a great week. I play Starfield a lot more than I normally do this week. I just can't get enough of it. But before I do, I'm going to let my co-host start their week. Oh, my week was pretty uh, light on Starfield. I explore, I've i been exploring the Tau City system, so when I do my explorations, I don't just land on the planet and do a quick scan and leave. I actually land on the planet, make sure all the zones on the planet say I've hit 100% for all the biomes. I've and gotta, then, I really have to try that one of these days, you know? What do you mean? Just go do what you do. Just 100% a planet. Uh, it can be a pain in the butt, especially when you're sitting there trying to find the small creatures that are like inch or two off the ground in height, and you're trying to find them. It can, and and if it's a high fauna, or no, sorry, high flora planet, then it's going to be really hard to see those people or those creatures, especially small little tiny ones. Small tip of the yeah. day: use your scanner, and then they glow. Yeah, they glow, but if they're they're usually they're you'll you usually find two or three at a time, yeah. Uh, and it gets really <laughs> tricky, even if you're using your scanner to find them. You know what's funny? Is, is- I was wondering why they have the, all the bugs are so big on these planets, and I thought about it for a second. Can you imagine having to find some kind of like alien necrotic flea? <laughs> <laughs> well, my biggest uh, problem when I'm exploring is like I'll go through and I'll be like, "Where the heck is this last?" stupid thing that i can't find and it's always in the water always it and then it'll just click and be like oh yeah i haven't checked the beaches yet it's probably out in the middle of the water and then it, i gotta go find the ones in the water and then, the rare times i'm looking for animals on a planet i always think of rook in the back of my mind in the water yeah because the planet every biome will it'll say biome complete wherever you land and then you land you zoom into the map so you can get as close to the water as possible and remember where the p- water is when you're looking at your map so that way when you get off your ship, you run in that compass direction and run to the water. I've done that on several planets already. Um, but so far, the only planet, the only systems I have fully explored are Iridani, and there's a couple more right after that I've fully explored. I'm knocking out Tau Ceti, then I... Oh, sorry, I'm finished with Tau Ceti. I'm actually on another system uh, just south of... Or not south. On the map below Alpha Centauri. So I'm I'm just hitting... I'm going from 
left of the map to the right, and we'll hit all of them. I, I do not like just landing on a planet, scanning, and then going. I actually, if it, it's a planet with beautiful scenery, as soon as I land, I'm looking for good shots. So, it's been busy. And then I also decided to build a ship. Yeah? <laughs> I got I, tired. I, uh, uh, I think I showed a picture of it in chat. Yeah, I, got, I saw it in the in Yeah, the looks pretty cool, too. I modified the... Originally, I modified the Mantis, the Razor Leaf. But then I did away with that one when I had enough money and completely rebuilt a new ship. Oh, I heavily modified an existing one in-game that I stole. <laughs> but uh, the most important thing with Starfield for me happened at LA Comic Con this last weekend, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, I didn't have near as much Starfield content this week as these guys because, unfortunately, I did not get to go to the Comic-Con and participate in the coolest thing ever. But, guys, but, uh, guys, I'm going to use this opportunity. All three of us are going to WonderCon 2024 yes, in March. Yes, we, we already bought the tickets, so we are going as a team. We're going to be we're there for all, all three there. days, and we were talking about it. We talked a little bit on Raw and Nerdy, but we would like to do something like a meet-and-greet, a get-together, uh, like a dinner somewhere one of those nights. So if people are interested and are going to be in the um, Anaheim, LA area, let us know. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be yep. awesome to get to meet some of some of you guys. And and if you're listening, chat. if you're listening to this right now, day of this recording, it's still an early access for the uh, badges and they're only doing the three day passes, but it's one heck of a deal. Yes. All three passes. We couldn't pass it up. Well, I did play a little Starfield uh, this week, um, a little more than usual, actually. I was working on some bases and stuff, and uh, trying. Uh, my goal is to try and make the coolest base that I possibly can. And when I'm done with it, I'm going to post all my pictures and stuff in uh, in the Discord and stuff. Uh, I'm still playing on my, my main character. Uh, he's up to level 138 now. He's a boss, and uh, we are going to, as we promised last week, we're going to go through our uh, stats a little, and you'll see this guy is just silly. It's just I'm pretty warning. I'm just laughing. Archon is going to blow me and um, Rook out of the water. Just a little bit. And the funny thing is, why why, why do I have less playtime than you guys by, like, a bajillion? Like, I have, like, half the playtime as you guys. But you've been pretty much outside of the challenge character, been running your primary character, haven't you? Mm, yeah. I go back to him a lot. So that's a big difference between our play styles right now is I have three different characters I've ran through. That's true. Same. That is, that is very true. I'm that, back that, to focusing yes. on my main, but yeah. Now that makes makes a bunch more sense. But yeah, And I, and now I'm disgruntled because I can't run my main. Aww. But I didn't really get anything cool, like find anything cool this week because I've just really been working on like trying to make a really cool base. So, I mean, I've got... Probably so what have you done for it? Um, I'm just tr I'm trying to make it look cool. I mean, I don't know what to say other than cool. I'm trying to like <laughs> get the Habs to where they're like designed in like a the just the right way with pathways kind of going around and like I'm just trying to fit as much as I possibly can into this place. And Archon's a pretty like good designer. I I know that firsthand. He's helping me design our Minecraft server and. Yeah, yeah, he so. does some really good stuff. So I'm interested to see. It's gonna take a while. It's gonna take a while. But once we I want get it, step like, by step pictures, step no, by no. step pictures from you. No, no, you're gonna get yeah. a final picture. Just a final picture, so that you could wonder how I did it. <laughs> okay, fair. Yeah, that was that was pretty much my week. All right, you guys ready for mine? 
I don't know, are we? I don't know. I know I'm not. Let's do it. One of the first things that I did this week, which kind of really lit a fire under me, was I did a video on how to do shipbuilding. I went from ground up, I tore down the frontier completely, got rid of everything, and started building completely from scratch, and built an entire ship to completion, including coloring. It's about an hour, about 55 minute long video, and you can find it on my Twitch which is twitch.tv forward slash the widget. And when I get with Rook, I'm going to get the video ported over to our actual YouTube page and get that link information. On my YouTube page, I have it broken down into 15-minute chunks as well as the full video. But for some reason, the full video came out at like 320p graphics, so it's blurry. But I give you the full instruction on how to build a ship from how to what to look for on each part, where to put things, how to build it up. And to complete a complete ship with weapons and everything. So that was a blast doing that. And I turned that ship that I built into a cargo ship. It's not a great looking ship. It's not bad looking. And it actually has decent firepower. I've, I've flown with it quite a few times. And it'll gun down everything. It's my first ship. I really put a focus on auto turrets. So I have two facing. One facing the left side. One facing the right side. Or starboard starboard port and then one facing forward i was thinking about putting one in the back but i ran out of power and i put a lot of thought into my hams like i have the science hab unit i have the um workshop and the crew quarters it's a fully functional cargo ship i can go anywhere and do whatever i want to in that ship and i'm going to be setting up bases here pretty soon i'm going to get in i'm going to get three of them started three outposts started and then i'm going to do a video on base building or outpost building just the basics and how to do your cargo links to do a supply chain to each one of them to wind up at your primary. Because I know that a few people in our Discord have been asking about it, have been confused by it, so I'm going to do that for everybody. And I built a fighter ship, and I had this like really cool design in mind, and it came out looking nothing like what I had in my mind. Looks like complete garbage, but it's a beast, and I got the best engines on it, so it's it. it I love the ship and it's how it performs and handles, but... Yeah, I need to do something about the looks. Not happy with it. And today, I had the luckiest run I have ever had, guys, on my live stream. What's that? Okay, so I'm doing the UC quest line, and there's that point where you have to go to Sidonia to find mm. the doctor to give the sample to him, right? So you have to pay off his debt. And you have those three three different ways you can do it, and I do the best way you can do it every time, which is going and taking out the spacers in that deep mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I went down there and did that, and the first rooms I went into had two different, or three different safes, or locked safes. The first two I opened up had legendary weapons. Two, two, one of them had a legendary pistol, the other one had another, a different legendary pistol. One of them was silenced, so I'm obviously using it on my guy. I killed an elite, and I got a legendary Tonto. And I've never seen a legendary Tonto until then. I know that I knew they existed, but and those are my favorite melee weapons by far. The only thing I don't like about it, it has that space enchant on it where 15% when you're on land minus plus 30 in space. Only bad thing about it, but it's an awesome weapon. And I got a an epic or purple shotgun from another safe. So out of the five safes I opened, I had three awesome weapons come out of it, and I made about 10,000 credits from it. Nice. That's a pretty good, pretty good run. Never had that happen before, and there's video proof of it on my stream. (laughs) 
Okay, to be fair though, that elite is a level 94 elite that I had to kill for the quest. I did save it, reload it one time, and then I got the legendary Tonto. So I did um, quite a bit of live streaming actually, and then um, I went to do get the rest of my powers. And here's something what funny happened is I went to get one of my powers and it took me to a planet and the spot it took me to was this little tiny outpost. It didn't take me to a temple. A little tiny outpost that had no caves or anything. Turns out it is a <laughs> bug. And I tried, you can't dump the quest and redo it. I tried going back to get another one and I couldn't. So after about 20 minutes of trying to figure it out, I said, forget it. And just went into New Game Plus 5. And I was missing <laughs> about three powers, which frustrated me, but... It wasn't the end of the world. So I went into the new game five. I was really hoping for an awesome new universe. It's the same. But I decided not to skip the story. So I'm keeping my pattern. Story, not story, story, not story. And uh, <laughs> I got a really bad roll on my suit and my ship. My starborn ship is absolutely terrible in combat. I was getting my butt whooped by level 10 ships. Very fast, no weaponry. And my suit didn't have any any good... I'm gonna, I just call it enchants, but you know what I mean. So I got rid of that pretty quick. One of the first things I did is I did go to um, go to the Mantis. I got the Mantis ship, the Razor Leaf, and I tore that down and made that into my fighter because I liked the status behind that ship. <laughs> and I got a really good roll on that suit, so I was really happy about that. And then, yeah, I started doing the UC quest line, and I got to the main point in the story to where I got Andresia. I have to have my boo with me when I do the story mode. I missed her. It's been a long time. <laughs> so, we did get one very useful tip. Because I've been trying to get that one um, skill concealment to level 4. And it requires 150, no, 75 melee, stealth melee hits. And I just, I'm a sniper. I don't do that very often. It was driving me nuts having to do it. So I was about ready to write it off. And this is the tip that she gave me. Apparently, Widget, if you go to the medical place at New Atlantis, the doctor that's in there is completely closed off from anybody. Like, nobody will... I don't know if it's a glitch or people just have hard of hearing or what, but apparently you can up that stealth melee skill, like unarmed combat skill, by going in there and just beating the crap out of him over and over again. And your skill level will go up I think you can kill him. I'm not sure. But then you can just, you know, go out and then come back in. But nobody comes to, like, hurt you. You don't get a bounty. Like, no one's after you. It's kind of sad and mean, but just a thought. I plan on doing that. I'm just going to have Sam wait outside. You know, hey, hun, you know, love you. Wait outside. <laughs> and then go in and beat the crap out of that guy. Definitely going to be doing that soon because mine, that's the only thing holding me back is, like, unarmed melee and i hate it it's a useful chip but that's honestly a cop-out in my opinion it kind of is um, <laughs> it's no more of a cop-out than using the flight simulator to level your pilot and so. i have never done that either but it works by the time i by the time i do the uc quest i'm already maxed out on my pilot skill <laughs> <laughs> I, I i use it every time on new character yeah, go and do simulators that's one of the first ones I do is you yeah. see. Hey, if it's there, it's there. It's in the game. It counts. I mean, they, they could have coded it out to not count. Reugen, then you see every time. <laughs> yeah, I just don't do that. But I went into the doctor, and I stabbed him, and I felt very bad about being a systematic torturer. 
I'd stab him about two times before I did too much damage, and he would hobble over, and I'd zone out and go back in. Periodically, though, he'd run out screaming, and everyone would be like, Oh, my God, it's a murderer! And Sarah's like, Oh, you're the devil! But then i just, you know, reload the save, because every time you log in, it load into the room, it auto-saves. So I just reload and go back in. I did that 40 or 54 times. Went from 21 out of 75 to 75 out of 75 doing it. Took me about 30 minutes. It was hilarious. And yeah, that was my week, guys. That'll that'll do. Dang, you were busy. Mm-hmm. Well, that and the other thing. Well, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Keep teasing it. Keep teasing it. Want, making them want it more. <laughs> hey, but we said last week on the show that we were going to compare our stats. It's been a long time. So, guys, pull out your stat sheets. I got them. All right. Okay. Let's start off with general. I would say I would say we're going to do it a little briefer this time than we did yeah. last time because we do have something big to get to. So, um, we're not going to go through everything. We have but plenty we of will time. We'll go through some of, the, some of the key ones. Three hours later. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> uh, locations discovered, gentlemen. On my main, I am at 501. Uh, that's not much different than me. I'm only at 513. My new character that I've only been playing for a couple of weeks off and on is at 170. Okay. That's really good. <laughs> that's really that's good. That's really good for a brand new person. But see, the thing is, is like the, the stat comparison between locations discovered and locations explored. Can you guys know the difference between those? Discovered is you actually um, just landing there. Discovered, I believe, is actually going into it. They explored? Explored yeah. is like actually like, you know, exploring it, like getting the flora, like how many floras, faunas. No, 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 I no. Think. Isn't it? That's a different thing. Ex- exploration covers explore. Uh, under general, it's I think it's when you are looking around on a planet and you scan it. That's when you discover it. And when you go to that location. Oh, OK. So scanning it would be the discovered. And then okay, that makes mm-hmm. perfect sense to me because I have 501 locations discovered and 449 explored. See, I'm the 449 I'm, as well. Ha! Mine's That's the funny. exact opposite. I I. I have literally doubled the locations explored because a lot of times I won't do the scan first. I'll just run to the location. And so I have 240 explored are you versus really 170 discovered. Fully, fully exploring a planet without scanning it? Yeah, you got to use your scanner. Gosh. Well, you call yourself an explorer? Yeah, because you can explore a location just by running it up to it and it's telling you, hey, you discovered this location. And guys, my hours waited has skyrocketed since the last time. I think I was like double digits the first time we talked about this. I'm at 351 hours waited right now and 658 hours slept. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at, I, I, okay. Um, 319 hours slept. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got 148 hours slept, and it's because I wait 48 hours to. Uh, I'll sleep in a bed for 48 hours or I'll wait for 48 hours just to restock the uh, uh Okay, so I so emergence. I have well over 700 hours slept, but I have 0 hours waited. I do not wait. I I'll sleep, but I do not wait. I have waited a few times for merchants. I'll go sit for 48 hours to reload merchants and go at it. I will go to Centurion Arms in the residential district of uh, New Atlantis, and I will sit on her chair until she reaches stocks her money. 
Oh, this so, next one. So the credits found is actually finding credits. I, I looked this up. It's finding credits in the world. It's not being paid. Yes. Oh, wow. Really? Yes. And I have uh, earned, uh, I have found 5,609,776 credits. I have found 25,728,429 credits. I need that money bags audio right there. <laughs> Cha-ching. <laughs> this uh this character is found has found seven thousand seven hundred eighty nine thousand six hundred fourteen credits for your amount of play time yeah that's, that's not really bad. good especially being an explorer i think you bad. would find quite a oh, bit yeah you find a lot in those abandoned places uh most credits carried i'm this is still a far different than what I used to with my previous one. I think my previous one was in a hundred, two or three or four or five hundred thousand. I'm at two million thirty-seven thousand right now, as the most credits carried. Most I've had at one time was is only just over ten million. Commands, <coughs> console commands. <coughs> no <laughs> credits found. Twenty-five million. Uh, I don't get it. Most credits carried. 230,626. Keep in mind, guys, this is a character who's only playing for a few weeks. And uh, and it's not hardcore like I did my main character. Um, what about... The only reason why it's so low is because I spent so much money on ships as soon as I get it. <laughs> this, this this might... Right, this might I'm the same way. This next one might shed some light. What is your containers looted? How many, how many containers have you looted? 1,162. Only 548. 2,614. So that <laughs> explains a little why I found so many credits. Well, I go out of my way to find magazines. Skills. Magazines is a big one for me. I go out of my way to find those because they're so important to your character. Well, we were just talking about this the other day. I don't know. I don't think it was on the air, but like I, that's one of the achievements I don't have yet is the magazines one because, yeah, I don't have very many. I think that's 13. I have 35. Yeah, and we got 13. And there's one that you're supposed to at least get every playthrough. It's right there on the plat on the uh, dais, right next to Sarah when you first go into Constellation. Yeah, when you first go in. Yeah. She's practically sitting on it if you get her as a plant. I've only been in my new <laughs> my new game plus five for maybe a couple hours. Well, two or three hours in game, and I've already have five magazines in my inventory right now. Yeah, there's the one up on the eye too. That's pretty easy to find. I've only found that one recently. Oh. <laughs> this, this next. Uh, I'm going to skip the next skill because I want to fly through. I want to get down to this one. Food eaten. The mine has dramatically increased since the update. <laughs> yeah, so remember mine was zero before? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's now... I haven't even played this guy too much since then, so I'm actually shocked, but it's at like 82 now? Jeez, I'm I got 43. 70. You guys are blowing me away on that. And I, I put in. I, find now. I recently put in a point for nutrition. Yeah, I, <laughs> I eat everything I find now, so why not? I drink everything I find, and it counts towards food eating. What about skill challenges, guys? How many of you guys completed that? How many of you completed on those? This character, 100, 22. 162. Jeez. I have 70. The oh. problem I have is skill challenges. A lot of the stuff I'm doing won't affect skill challenges. But my character is level 86 compared to your 130-something. Mine's only 30. Yeah. I've completed a bunch that I'm waiting for points that I can put increase Ex my skills at this Exploration. Point. Mr. Rook's main thing here. That's the next... Oh, yeah, there it is. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, boy, I don't even Mine's know which awful. one to start with. Mine is so awful. Some of them, eh. Like, yeah, I'm terrible. My flora and fauna, for instance, is 18 and 14. I'm going to fly through these stats. This is a level 30 character that I've only been running for a couple of weeks. Do it. Systems visited, 16. Planet scanned, 78. Planets fully surveyed, 67. Planets landed on, 67. Flora fully scanned, 43. Fauna fully scanned, 47. Two stations docked with, seven ships docked with, and 45 unique creatures scanned. How many temples? I haven't done any temples. There you go. Yeah, I've, I'm have i at 184 systems visited, only 246 scanned, 25 fully scanned, <laughs> fully surveyed. That's it. <laughs> I'm shocked if it was even 25. I thought it would be like in the teens. I didn't 210 planets landed on, 18 flora, 14 fauna, 102 stations docked, 63 ships docked with, 87 unique creatures scanned, and 65 temples. Yeah, mine's not even showing yeah. temples because I haven't I'm, unlocked I'm temples yet. I'm pretty on par with you. Like, mine, you were just, like, a little bit off on most of them. I, I am not an explorer, so. Yeah, That's why we have Rook. Mine. He's our explorer. Yeah. <laughs> this character this, has not done. not mine. In the main story... I picked up Sarah at the lodge the first time, and that's the last time I've done any questing. We would have the ideal three-man team for Constellation, you know? You got yeah. me, the sniper, so the support back end. You got our explorer and um, cartographer, Mr. Rook. I'm the Walter. Of the the Mr. Moneybags. Yep. <laughs> he can run in guns blazing and have money falling out of his pockets. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's go into ships. Uh boy. Yeah, this is going to be interesting. I have 361 grav jumps. Um, my furthest grav jump is only was 29 light years. I have five ships registered. Really? I thought it would be more than that. I've been actually trying... Oh, my pirate character has more than that. Yeah. <laughs> on this character, it's five, and I recently took one over on his live stream, and it was a terrible ship. Oh, speaking of which, one of my other characters recently happened is I commandeered a ship out in the middle of... No, it was this character, actually. My main. In the middle of nowhere. And I believe I talked about it in the last episode, and I could not get back. Because I didn't have enough of a grab jump to get anywhere off that plant, that system. Oh, gosh. So I had to go back and save quite a bit, but yeah. Um, max ships owned is four. Most expensive ship owned, 912,975. Largest ship owned, 7954, or 57. I'm not sure exactly what that number entails, but uh, it's your uh, so Wait. largest ship own. I've learned it goes based off your mass. Yeah, it's the mass. Oh, okay, that'd be one of my cargo ships then. My largest crew size is five. I have eight ships customized. Shipbuilder credit spent two million nine hundred and ninety nine thousand. <laughs> I have sold five ships. I have painted eight ships with this character, and I have two hundred eighty one ship modules built. What's funny is you said you have 281 modules built. I built 132, and I've only customized two ships. <laughs> uh, yeah, my yeah. <laughs> my most expensive ship owned is 1.5 million. Uh, large, the largest ship I'm assuming was that same ship is 11,365. Was that one of your cargo? Yeah, that was my big boy cargo ship. Uh, shipbuilder credits spent just just over the eighty eight point five million range. 
Yeah. Modules modules built 712. Yeah. And I love ship building and I don't my stats don't show that. Of course I do have well, two other characters. I have, I have to build a couple ships every single new game plus and I'm a few new game pluses ahead of you so I think that's kind of where that falls in. What's your new character at Rook? All right. So I've only jumped to 62 systems, which makes sense. Yeah. Uh, most of those jumps were jumping from wherever I'm at exploring back to New Atlantis to stealth stuff and back. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, because of where I'm currently at, my farthest grab jumps only been 11. I've already had four ships registered and I've owned a maximum of five. My most expensive, though, was only 372000 um, my largest was 2,244. Uh, my, I got one crew and that's me. <laughs> um, ships customized. I've customized two of them. It was the, uh, Razor Leaf and then the second one I built. And the most credits I spent was 496,089 credits. I've sold three ships, painted two ships and built 132 modules. Dang dude. For that. Low, that low level character that's pretty good alright guys com not combat mission let's go to mission this is interesting I'm mm-hmm. gonna lead this one off I was I'm gonna, gonna say <laughs> we should probably skip this one just because like I mean we are kind there's some of very interesting stats in it though well it, it does it but it does but we also need we're to getting, get into the meat and yeah, potatoes we really tonight. do so, <clears throat> so I think the combat the combat's a little bit more interesting yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Especially one in particular. All right, let us have it, Joe. Fifteen hundred and ninety-four people killed on this character. Four hundred eighty-seven creatures. One hundred thirty-five robots. One hundred fifty-six turrets. One hundred eighty-nine elites. Eighteen hundred and seventy-nine criticals. One thousand seventy-five sneak attacks. <laughs> Boost packs exploded. Two hundred thirteen. I've only recently started really targeting them. Fourteen zero G kills. I've used power 1,766 times. Scope kills 1,628. Max damage shot 4,211. I have 103 melee kills, which is shocking to me. Um, But I'm almost all ballistic. Um, My ballistic's over 2,000. My headshots, 2,299. So the vast majority of my kills. My headshots is 2,294. I got you! By five... (laughs) Finish up, stats. Finish up stats because I'm going to make y'all be upset with me. 37 explosive kills. I've killed 124 Starborn. I've destroyed 277 ships. So and of course, favorite weapon? It says Beowulf, but that's not true. Sniper for sure. Yeah, yeah your sniper is definitely yours. My favorite weapon is my mag shear. Most of my stats are pretty insignificant. I'm but a hard target guy. Is, the one that I think is kind of funny is creatures killed. 11,640. <laughs> yeah, because of your farm? Because of my farm. And that that is part of the reason why I am level 138. Yeah. <laughs> because of my farm and killing lots and lots and lots of creatures. All right. So I thought that one was kind of funny. So this character's level 30. I've only been playing him for a short time, obviously. Widget has had a lot more than me. Well, yeah, this character's 86. A lot more kills than me. I have just around half of your headshots, and I'm only level 30. So you going sniper or sniper? No. Oh. When I'm shooting elites in combat, because I use I actually use real military tactics, so I'll shoot center mass so as much as possible. Here's here's a problem with this, okay? People mm-hmm. who use automatic weapons who aim at the head are going to get more headshots, because you're going to get two yeah. or three or four 
headshots per kill. Me, it's one shot in the head and they're dead. One shot, one kill. You guys want to hear something impressive? So I just pulled up my challenge character and the combat on my challenge character that I did. My pacifist guy? <laughs> yeah, I'm interested in that one. Yeah. People Ooh, killed. People killed. Three. Creatures killed. Zero. Robots killed. Zero. Turrets killed. <laughs> zero. Elite named or elite enemies killed. Zero. <laughs> Critical strikes. Zero. Sneak attacks. Zero. <laughs> it goes on and on all the way down the thing. And then uh, ships well killed. Well done, sir. Well done. Ships destroyed. Three. And that's just the beginning <laughs> ones that you have to kill. All right. So I'm going into my bounty hunter right now. I got to see what her combat stats are because she... I want to see if it says Beowulf, because she's only ever used pistols. Rem remember that. I'm going to load up my uh, pirate really quick. i just curious. Yeah. Other than that, I mean, I think we should... Uh, get on to the fun stuff. From Rook, we should get on to the fun stuff, because those, those are the fun stats. All right, combat. This is going to be a long <laughs> episode, but I'm okay with that, and I'm sure our listeners are too. She's done nothing but bounty hunter missions, with some questing, obviously, because I had to unlock the engines I wanted... People killed, 883. Creatures killed, 81. Robots killed, 37. They're all low numbers. 138 elites, uh, 468. Critical strikes, 462 scopes kills. So they're all low. She even has only 10, uh, 1,025 headshots. Uh, she's destroyed 164 ships, and she loves the urban eagle. And apparently she's used the anti-gravity power a couple of times. Oh, my favorite power nice. stuff in the personal atmosphere. I use that. My um, my pirate, Edward, his favorite weapon was a Maelstrom. So I use mostly heavy weapons and a lot of fast-firing weapons. This is where the, the stats get skewed. For instance, I've killed 420 people on him, and this is only one playthrough. He only went through one new game blast, level 45. 420 people killed, but 1,076 headshots. Because I would put 10 bullets in their head on <laughs> one round. All right, so... I I'm going to bring up my last character because um, I want to compare the new character to my level 70 character real quick. Uh, so y'all talk about whatever y'all want. Well, the only thing really we got left, left to is, talk uh, about is the, the meat and the potatoes. So. Yeah, because yeah, uh, I haven't ran this character in a really long time. And I want to see where I am on par with his exploration. Not his stats, but they were both built roughly the same. Both are explora explorators. Explorer Explorers. Explorers, sir. Explorators. Let's see. Kind of like explorators. <laughs> Export. People killed. 1786. 300 creatures. 127 robots. 105 uh, turrets. Elites. 294. Critical strikes. 1306. Sneak attacks. 13, uh, 314. Uh-huh. 340 uh, G kills. <laughs> I actually used powers 361 times with this character because I learned that I like turning the enemy and creating a duplicate of them. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, uh, 3,249 headshots. Uh, 221 ships destroyed, and his favorite... Yeah, personal atmosphere is my favorite power on that character, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I well, that makes sense. Because I'm always <laughs> overweight. Mine sense star stuff, obviously. But what's cool is when it comes to uh, ship... Uh, not ship builds, but character builds... There's a thing called assisted carry, which I can now run back to my ship over a thousand meters and barely drain all of my uh, yeah. oxygen when I'm fully encumbered. So it's awesome. Not run. 
your standard walk motion, not your sprint. There you go. Yeah. All right, guys. So this is it. This is what um, the big news and excitement we had for this show. Uh, if you've heard Raw Nerdy, you know how this happened, but we're going to kind of recap it a little bit. Is that when me and Rook went to LA Comic Con, and I want to say a special thanks to LA Comic Con, um, we are going to be using at the end of the show a certain panel. But when we got into the, the show, we first got into the West Wing. We were starting to look around. Rook asked me which direction we want to go. I said, oh, let's go left. But his eyes went right. So mine followed. And right there in a big bull sign was what, Rook? The Sounds of Starfield. There was, was a it? panel for an interview or a panel with Enon Zer, the composer for Starfield. So we had to go over there, and it said it was starting in like two or three minutes. We got there just in time. Rook pulled out his recorder, and he recorded the whole panel for you. This is We're going to be playing that panel at the end of the show. It's about 45 minutes long, so we'll edit it down probably about 40 Roughly 40 minutes. But then I kept telling Rook, like, I really want to talk to him. I want to see if we can get an interview with him. And at least a little bit. I was thinking maybe two minutes, a couple questions. So we went over to the side where I thought he was going to be coming out to go up on the panel. And a lady comes out, which her name is Jennifer, but she's also at the end of the, this session. But um, And then right after her comes out a gentleman, and I, I recognized him. I was about 90% sure it was Einan. I went over and I talked to him, said hi. I said, hey, I'm with Starfield Raw, and he knew he knew us. You knew our show anyway. We introduced ourselves, and I asked him, hey, can we sit down and talk to you after your panel? And he looked at us and goes, absolutely. And he went up and did his panel. He said, wait here. We'll come back here after the panel, and we'll talk. He did his panel. It was fantastic. Loved it. Came back down, and they, they led us over to a little quiet space with chairs. We sat down, and we interviewed Einan Zer. That was amazing because I was expecting the, yeah, cool, I'll give you an interview and whatnot. And it was completely different than what I was expecting. It was, they were so eager to let us do this interview and so happy that we wanted to interview them. I got to show my musical nerdy side during the interview. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we're gonna, we will be most likely talking to him. I'm talking with his agent right now. We're gonna working out to have him come on the show probably sometime in the beginning of next year um, and talk to us over an episode, but we got the interview. So, don't mind the audios using a handheld recorder. And I got rid of most all the background noise. Even though we were sitting down off into a corner, there was still a lot, especially because a new panel was starting and it was a well-known person. So they were loud. So I, I kind of distorted the sounds in the background so that we could focus on what he was saying. Yeah, it was. It's awesome. I love it. Uh, hopefully y'all enjoy it too, because this was a like, Widget said, a spur of the moment thing. Thank you for LA traffic for holding us up. Yeah. <laughs> we got in. It started at two. We literally got there a couple, like you said, a couple minutes before it started. I think we walked into the building at like 145, got our badges, mm -hmm. walked into the West Hall. And by the time we walked up to there, it was like 156 or 157. We got there just in time. And it was a real pleasure talking to them. Enon, thank you so much. It was a blast. And ladies and gentlemen, the interview. The opening to Starfield is very iconic. There's only two games that the opening has ever got my attention, and that's Halo and Starfield. That's what he was talking about over there. <laughs> wow. I mean, you don't know how much that means to me. I mean, the dream of every composer. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, is have to that. create something that somebody will hear and after two or three notes, it's like, this is Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, this is Twilight Zone. You hear that you know, opening? It, you know, it, 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 the, when you hear that, this is the Twilight Zone, you know, of course. You oh, know? of course. Yeah. It's like, so, I mean, it means a lot. Thank you. You're welcome. So, for our listeners, we are with Enon. He is the composer for Starfield. I'm pretty sure a lot of you guys know about that. And uh, you all love his music like we do. We've talked about your music a couple of times on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've actually mentioned off the air a couple of times these guys that I would love to talk to you. Like, my favorite piece by far is Silent Orbit. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting choice, although also one of my favorites as well. It's an emotional but not, piece. You know, not many people are actually up on this. Yeah. It's one of our later um, to a position because you know Starfield has um, I, I call it it's like you know um, there are like eras okay mm-hmm. yeah so there is the era as uh, like early era mm-hmm. and then there is the mid one early era was 2016 and then it ended somewhere in 2017 17 then we started another big batch in 2019 and then the last one started in 2021 Okay. And this is coming from, you know, the third one, where we already sort of, like, established, you know, what, we're, what we want to do and where we want to go, but it's like, all right, let's try to do something a little different. Plus, probably one of the more emotional parts of the game, the main story, obviously. But you know what? Sometimes we don't really... Uh, but uh, you know the the brilliant brains uh, in Bethesda um, could adjust so well um, to something that they hear, and it's like wow, this could work so well in this scenario. And it's like all right, let's try to work this in, and that's what happens. Nice, nice. And it's, like I said, it's my favorite piece. So thank you so much. When I first went to the, the beginning of the game and I, I got to that point, that's the first time in the game where I actually just turned down everything else and turned the music up and then just read the scene instead of wow. listening to it. And again, dream comes true for every composer. Although we always say that, um, and I, I always say that the best music for game is it music that, that when it plays in the game, you don't really hear it, mm-hmm. you feel it. If you notice the music too much, that means that the music draws attention too much to itself, which is supposed not to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if you are able to create something that is evoking emotion but doesn't draw too much attention to itself and you find the balance, then you did your job. Well, you did your job. Well, thanks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well. We are, you know, that we're all, you know, I mean, it's, you know, we are all, uh, you know, soldiers here mm-hmm. that are doing our, our, our jobs, you know. So oh, there's yeah. like, you know, the artists that are, and uh, the story writers and stuff. And, the, you know, it's all part of one team. So, Woodgett and I, we both actually have been playing since the early access, the seven-day early access. Uh-huh. So we have well over 200 hours. I'm going well, you precede Jennifer. <laughs> Jennifer did 180. Yeah, yeah. I, will, I think I'm at like 230 hours myself. Wow. Yeah, I know, because you can finish it in somewhere 90 hours. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you go nicely into some side quests, and then if you go back and, and play things again in a different perspective... Mm-hmm. 
you know, like she likes Crimson, so okay, fine. Just to, you know, she spent some time, like a lot of time with Crimson, you know. Oh yeah, I've been doing that a lot recently too. <laughs> I've been yeah. finding myself falling in love with uh, Aquila City and the Free Star Collective. Okay. And I really do like the Western themes that you compose on that. Yeah, it actually I, makes... I must say, tell you that uh, this is one of the things that I actually do some notes from Fall of New Vegas. It actually makes <laughs> yeah. me feel like Firefly in a way. Well, yeah, because you have this combination of like the old America, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, you know, sci-fi. Exactly. So that's what... You know, the first thing we was thought a, when we saw that right. the, the first images of Keela and everything was uh-huh. Firefly all the way. You know, yeah, and and also Freestar is something again that we approached later. Um, in fact, this faction is one of the newer factions that came to be. Um, okay. You okay. know, they were not like in the original uh, story, but. Um, we felt that hey, we got to bring some of the frontier, you know, things as well, and Freestar was perfect for that. Yeah, yeah, it, it ties the whole thing together. Oh yeah. Oh, well. to me, to me, um, playing a game, if you don't have the music that ties it together, it just doesn't have that feel of adventure and excitement. This is what music does, and it doesn't matter if it's a video game or movie or TV. Music is what I call um, sort of like the emotional dimension. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because you don't really see it. You're not supposed to hear it. You see the picture. You hear the dialogue and the sound effects and everything. You feel the music. Mm-hmm. Our brain is making the separation between what we hear and comprehend and what we hear and we feel. Yeah. And it's a very sort of like big distinction mm-hmm. between these two components and that's why music cannot be part of you know uh, like the whole what we call the soundtrack yeah. okay there is you know everything and then there's the music which is a different thing and it's, and it's something I've noticed with video game musics more than uh, movie or TV show music is when you listen to the soundtrack doesn't feel like you're listening to different parts of pieces of music thrown together. It actually sounds like a full scored music and the composition. Specifically with Bethesda games, is that Todd always said, always, that he likes to start with two things: story, yes, and music. Mm-hmm. He doesn't care how the game will look at the beginning. He doesn't like. He wants story and he wants music. I know Todd. You know, he, he's that. Yeah, he's so story driven. Exactly. And you have to have the music that ties in with the story. Right. And this is why when I started working like Fallout 4, you know, I started well, right? Fallout 3. I every game of Bethesda, I started like a few years before. And Starfield, it's like it's been like almost eight years. Yeah. So we're growing up together, mm-hmm. and that's why it's so cohesive. That's why it's so tight. Because like I write something that they run it, then they're like you know sending me some stuff. Then I'm fixing it. It's like it's not like everything is done. And here, let's slap the music on. No, very different. Rock, you know, much deeper. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I I grew grew up in high school band and all that, so I really like classical music. So I could talk about this all day. Mm-hmm. How difficult is it to actually bring the different 
scores of an orchestral piece for, say, uh, Starfield, and be able to properly combine them so it just sounds right. You said on stage that you go by instinct and how it feels to you. You just change if it doesn't feel right. You'll go and try something different. Again, it's not about the tools you work with. Mm-hmm. It's about the emotions you want to evoke. You yes, know, exactly. and there are many, many ways to evoke emotions with music. So the choice that you're going to make is coming from your experience. I know that this and this sort of like strings and piano, you know, playing in this space will evoke this and this emotion. So you have already sort of like set of tools that are ready to your disposal. The only question is like, what do you do with this? How do you work with? And bigger than anything else, what happens when you feel you need to have a tool that you don't have in your toolbox? Oh, yeah. Okay, what do you do? How can you either you create or buy a whole new tool, or you take the tools that you have there and put together from them a new tool? But yeah, it's that's what I said. Like we're not creating, we're composing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just for an idea on how long it takes to uh, compose a piece, the Unity scene when you right before you enter the Unity, how long did that t- that that on theme the average, take? The average, the first sort of like demo the first like concept you know that is complete um, usually takes about I'd say half a day that's it oh wow but oh, then no it's not bad at all but then comes the back and forth can we change this uh, can we do it's like you know we don't really like it let's start from top you know <laughs> so yeah no, but so it really depends. There are some themes or, or pieces that I wrote and boom, right in, half a day, done. Uh, on the other hand, um, just for example, Fallout 4, you know, the famous piano theme mm-hmm. is yeah. version 29. Oh, wow. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there you go. That's awesome. What's your favorite piece in Starfield that you did? Tough one. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, it, I, I'm even hesitant to say. Peaks and Valley definitely has something because this is was probably one of the first pieces that I wrote for Starfield, even before I knew how Starfield looked like. Okay. It was early 2016. And I know that piece. But it still has the Starfield... DNA, but very early DNA of Starfield. But this is why I like it so much because it was able to withstand all the changes we made and still be very relevant to Starfield. So this is one of my that's awesome though. You know, favorite pieces. And a good story behind it. I like it. Oh, I lo- <laughs> I. I, I I've fallen in love with the soundtrack. I have the soundtrack. I actually fall asleep to it at times because it helps me fall asleep. So. <laughs> I'm an author and I listen to uh, symphony orchestra music all the time when I write. Well, see, it just, it's, like you said, it draws the emotion. And when I'm writing, it's about the same thing. Anytime you're doing, um, watch either like reading a book, watching a movie, TV, listening to music, you don't 
your favorite pieces are like, for instance, a comedy, are not the ones that made you kind of chuckle. Right. It's the ones that made you belly laugh. It's about drawing that emotion out. And yeah, that, that's one of my favorite parts about what you did with Starfield. Is it draws the right emotion out from the right areas of the game. I know, but again, remember that these things are being made um, inside, and it's the decision is being made by the team who is actually incorporating the music. Right? You know, you know, interacting with the music inside. You know, implementation of music is an art on its own. That uh, you know, obviously, because I know. Yeah. So now I got one more question. You said your very first piece was Klingon Academy, Star Trek Klingon Academy. Yep. It's your first game you composed. How different from that game to Starfield was this way of composing music? I mean, again, it's just about the set of tools. You know, the, my toolbox then was like this. Today it's a little bigger. <laughs> just you a know, little bit. <laughs> you know, so, it, yeah, again, I mean, is it... I mean, it's just looking at some stuff that you did when you were really young and today you're experienced and you're better on what you're doing. So it's like, well, yeah, you know, there's a few good things here, but I would never do that. Oh, how could I do that? But, you know, but that's part of the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna thank you very much for your time I'm talking thank with you us. Today. I really appreciate it. Of course, and um, so, Greg, um, and, and um, Jennifer Miller, you know, she's our host. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So I'm Jennifer Miller Hamill. I'm the morning host on Classical KUSC here in Los Angeles, which is the public classical radio station. But just about a month ago, I launched a brand new 24/7 stream called Arcade, which is um, mostly like incredible moments in video game music, not just the big hits, but just stuff from like smaller indie games like East Shade, Pentiment, like something that was probably not as, you know, not as popular, but incredible music in those games. And then, of course, incredible moments from like Fallout and Starfield, um, of course. But what's really lovely about this stream is that I also highlight classical music that was used in video games as well. And so it's a really wonderful place for perhaps people who are fans of classical music but have never listened to video game music because they're like, oh, I'm never going to play a video game, so I have no idea what this stuff sounds like. This is a really great place for them to go and be able to listen to this music and hear it because this is music that can really stand on its own. Like You don't you don't need the context from these games in order to really love this music. Oh, yes, that's yeah. so true. Yeah, so that's a really wonderful. And it's also a great place then, too, for fans of game music to go and be like, oh, wait. I've heard Beethoven's Fifth before. Where have I heard it? And it's like, oh, it was in you know GTA or something. That's where I, you know, that's where I first heard it. So yeah, arcade. Um, it's like 15 hours of music, and it's constantly running on stream. So you could listen to it every single morning while you're driving into work, and you're going to hear a different section of it, which is really fantastic. So it's almost like a little radio station. Okay. So, so is that like an app for your followers okay, so, to know about it? Yeah. So this is the biggest Starfield, you know, podcast. Uh, yeah, I. So, you did know, you tell them that I just finished yeah, playing Starfield? Them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we said those were rookie numbers. Yeah, <laughs> we have over two hundred. I at least have over two hundred thirty hours. So happy. You. 
have have you guys had that interaction yet that I've heard about? It was the there was a guy who played it through thirty three times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about our last episode. You did. Okay, all right. That's fascinating to me because I was like, wait, how do you get this interaction where you then get to work with yourself? Like so, like, there are different new game pluses. I've there's ten. Yeah. There's ten overall. What I like to say, alternate un- uh, and uh, alternate universes for yeah. Starfield. It's about fifteen percent chance when you go through the union and you get one. Yeah. I got one where the hunter killed everybody in the lodge and gives you the uh, oh, no. and gives you all the artifacts and then you have to go around and get them all yourself. You have to go to the eye, yeah, yeah. find all the locations yourself. Instead of having it, yeah. Yeah. My only issue is the game bugs out and didn't let me save. <laughs> but it was cool to actually experience an alternate ending. Yeah. And uh Universe, not ending. Well universe, yeah, alternate universe. And the fact that they did that in the game it's just awesome. Yeah, yeah. Because my I played through one alternate universe after I wrapped up the story, and it was pretty much the same as what I'd done before. So yeah, I've been through seven, and I've okay. gotten everything the same except for one time, the door on the lodge was solid gold. Oh, and that was the only thing that changed. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, it's on. Um, you can listen to Arcade on either the app for KUSC. So if you just go to the App Store, either Google or Apple, just search for KUSC, which is our call letters, and you can listen to it through there. Or you can also listen to it on KUSC's website. Yeah. And that's what that was it. What did you guys? Well, what did you think of it, Rook? What was your impressions of him? He's very passionate about what he does. On the panel. He mentioned something that I started right after he mentioned is when I started recording, because that's when I realized I had the recorder in my pocket. So apparently he also not only was Star Trek Klingon Academy, his first game, but he also did some composing for Power Rangers. He's all over the place and he does a lot of the most well-known games that people think of. Yeah, he's done a lot of other Bethesda games as well. Yes. Bethesda, he's also done... um, He did Fallout 4. He did Fallout 4, some Elder Scrolls, Dragon Age... Yep. Songs that you hear the powerful and emotional music from, they're the games that he's done. And I didn't think anything of it. And at the time when I first saw him and then I was thinking about it after we got home, I'm like, holy cow, every game I can think of that has a powerful uh, soundtrack, he did. And it's like, he's I, I love the guy now. What you, what you guys heard at the end of... Yeah, I, I can't wait to talk to him again. It was so much fun. He is such a good guy. At the end of the interview was Jennifer. You want to give her a shout-out, Rook? All right, I want to give a shout-out to Jennifer. So she is the morning host on uh, Classical California's radio station, KUSC. Uh, it, it is Southern California's premier classical music station. They uh, She is actually... Heading up a thing, a streaming service called Arcade. I uh, I want to give it a shout out because Arcade is an awesome idea, mm-hmm. and you can either download KUSC app or you can go to KUSC.org and choose the different live streams they have and go to it. It is 24 hours nonstop streaming, at least 15 hours of music, and it's. Mario meets Beethoven, and it's well-known games all the way down to the most unknown indie games on their yeah. music. And they pick the right songs, the ones that are well-composed and meaningful. And it's, mm-hmm. I listened to it a little bit. I like it a lot, actually. 
I actually live streamed it uh, right after you guys told me about it, and immediately my <laughs> favorite song from any video game, One Wing Angel from Final Fantasy VII, was playing at that moment, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to like this station. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's awesome. I actually enjoyed that entire interview. I can't wait to talk to him again. And it's- Jennifer, if you want to come on the air with us on Raw and Nerdy and talk to us, let us know. Yeah, you were a lot of fun to talk to. Mm-hmm. I think, see, me, like you guys, the listeners, I got to listen to this interview. I unfortunately didn't get to be there and be a part of it. But I think out of everything in that interview, the thing that struck me the most was, and I'm paraphrasing here, when he talks about how a good good music in a game, you should feel it, but you shouldn't notice it's there. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. It's in the background. It makes you feel the feels, but you shouldn't notice it's there. You should just feel that it's there. And, and yet, I thought that that was amazing. And yet they have to have an opening sequence that is instantly recognizable. Right. And right. as y'all heard in the interview, there is only two games that have an opening sequence that catches my attention right away and I can recognize it. And that is Halo and Starfield. Yeah. I have a couple more, but Starfield's definitely up there in my top yeah. three. I have a couple more too. Like, for instance, for me, Mega Man. When that music starts on Mega Man, you know that's a Mega Man game. <laughs> Mario, man, come on. Mario, yeah, do, Mario's do, do, another do, one. Do, They're good. Do. <laughs> yeah, but that's one of those. It's not music that's really driving a any emotional depth. To yeah, it. it's just eight bit music, but those old ones. Yeah, I'm talking about songs that I will literally not be playing a video game and just listen to. Yeah, just for yeah. for fun. Like and like I told him on the interview, Silent Orbit's one of my favorites. When I'm writing or doing anything creative, it's and it I need that right mood. I put Silent Orbit on every time. And it's funny you brought that that statement up, uh, Archon, because I was actually thinking of just about to ask that question before you said it. Yeah, what y'all thought about his statement up about that? It's, and it's one of those things I didn't realize until I turned the music back up so when i'm playing because i chat i tend to turn the music down because uh i want to be able to hear discord but i realized when i turned the music back up the game just felt emotionally better yep it changes Mm -hmm. when you when you have the music i always keep it on at least like at least enough to where i can hear it but it's not overpowering if i'm in discord but yeah when you turn that music up it just changes the entire experience yeah, I've had very few experiences in any game where I purposely turned down all the speaking audio and ambient audio and turned up the music and just read the uh, captions. Actually, I could see myself popping in Elite Dangerous, pulling up the soundtrack for Starfield and just <laughs> listening to that soundtrack while I'm scanning planets in Elite Dangerous. And if you don't think that, you know, it, it makes a big deal, I will challenge the listeners right now. To go in and just shut the music off on a game and play it and see what you think. It's it's just not the same game. No, it's different. It completely changes the gameplay experience altogether. It's so important. Like so what Enon said in the interview, with Todd Howard's main focus is story and then music. Yeah, I mean it's mm-hmm. the same with movies too. Like you take a movie or the music out of them out of movies and it's just like boring. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. So this is gonna be it for our show tonight. I want to again thank LA Comic Con. 
I want to thank Greg O'Connor for all his help and assistance. You know who you are. We appreciate it. And of course, Enon Zer for sitting down and talking to us and being amazing. And Jennifer Hamill. So I want to thank these two guys right here for going to Comic-Con and getting this for us because it's huge for the show. Thank you, guys. Those were last-minute tickets, and they were the best last-minute tickets I've ever bought. <laughs> yep. uh, I do want to, again, thank LA Comic-Con, because without them, none of this episode would have been possible, and especially the panel that you'll hear at the end of this episode. All right, guys. Like always, you can find our show. Well, email us. We love your guys' emails, your thoughts, comments, anything you want to say to us. StarfieldRaw at gmail.com business and otherwise is welcome you can find the show on twitter at starfield raw you can find us on facebook at starfield raw we have a main instagram page for our networking as a whole our podcast company as a whole i'm gonna put a caveat on this i know a lot of people don't like following podcasts or not podcasts but instagram channels that have very few followers this was only started like three days ago, so give it time to build. <laughs> yep, it's building. It's building fast. Raw Podcast One. You can find our Discord, discord.gg, R A W P O D C A S T S, Raw Podcasts. You can find us individually on Twitter. You can find me at the widget, W I G I T, and pretty much every other social is the same. You can find me at Rook213 on everything but I, uh, Instagram. Instagram is Tomcat underscore 213. And you can find me pretty much everywhere at the Archon 606 And guys, like always, keep getting those headshots and have a fantastic week. Y'all stay safe in the deepest black. Keep reaching for the stars. What's up, everybody? So we're sitting here at the panel for the music of Starfield. So this is going to be interesting. Stay tuned. Coming in, name it. I did it. I want to see how. And we were like four composers that had to do like so many shows. So I was so busy, and one day there was a phone call from someone. Sounded a little bit like God. Maybe it was. My name is Bob Rice. Well, he is he was unfortunately passed away this uh um year and was a very close friend of mine but um bob was the one that introduced me to video games and he asked me would you like to compose music for video games so you could really imagine that i said right away no (laughs) Uh, you know i didn't really i was not a gamer i didn't know that even exist but I was really lucky that he just kept on like you know this is great this is the next thing and then I asked how much does it pay and he told me that you know what maybe yes maybe yes (laughs) (laughs) well and also some of it too it was the draw of getting to work with a big orchestra too exactly and that was actually the main reason that initially drew me in and the first game I worked on was Klingon Academy, Star Trek. 
and I was one of the first composers that composed that actually recorded you know live classical orchestra the Seattle Symphony with a Klingon opera singers that did sing in Klingon and all these I, I used to know how to say Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year in Klingon actually I'll oh, share that with you later okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> So, so that had, that was your first experience then, and fortunately, it was something that did take you into space. So when That's you right. were approached um, seven years ago now for this project, Starfield, um, how did that conversation begin? So I don't know, because um, usually when I, I'm speaking to people, they are like mainly a lot of gamers and here we're at Comic-Con so I don't know how much you guys are actually involved in gaming or um, but one of the main producers in our industry and the visionary his name is Todd Howard I don't know if you heard his name uh, and Todd is uh, the producer and uh, the visionary behind Elder Scrolls if you heard about Skyrim, Fallout series, and one day he called me and says like, yeah, you know what, I, I want you to meet me at our offices, you know, and I came and he said like, I'm thinking about a space game, and that's how the whole thing started. So that's just it, it was just like, I want to take what we do here at Bethesda, which is these incredibly exactly. rich RPGs, right translated into outer space yeah he said like think about skyrim or fallout styles but that happens in space and it's like you can't do that <laughs> and he said yes i can um and that's the whole thing started and in fact when i started working on it there was not much of a game um it was just ideas, the plot was there, maybe some art, but that's it. So it just threw me right in. So you have this incredibly big canvas then to work on. Exactly. So when you when you approach a project like this that is just so huge, um, where do you begin to conceive your ideas musically? So Starfield is really interesting because again, uh, I was never given any real gameplay footage. Um, even the plot was really vague. So I was really had to go on, I would always call it like keywords that are launching your appetite and are, is launching your sort of like creative juices. So I went for three keywords. And I imagine that these three keywords happen to anyone who is being thrown into space. The first one is awe, because it's huge. It's beyond comprehensible. So it's just something that you cannot really grasp. So the awe effect. Then comes the fear, because it's really scary. You don't know what's going to happen to you. It's a hostile environment. It's unknown environment. It's very dangerous. So then comes the fear. But then, the third thing, there is the excitement. And the excitement is what 
gives you like the last push. And this is what are the three components when you talk about Starfield music. It all makes out of the awe, the fear, and the excitement. Now taking those three keywords, awe, fear, and excitement, what does that sound like? Great. So, um, <laughs> what does it sound like? I don't know. I mean, it's like, think about going to your keyboard in the studio and try to produce something that will be like these three things, okay? So you play a chord that you think, oh, this sounds like aw. Oh. All right, great, awesome. Then you take a chord that you think is scary. Then you take another chord that this you think is really exciting. To a and then you know what you're doing? You play them never all together. To a, a composer. And this is how the what we call the famous space chord was created. So the chord that I thought together on the keyboard, that was the start of Starfield. So you, you referenced a little bit about the other projects that you've done for Bethesda, since, such as Fallout, of course. Um, you've done just an incredible amount of work, Fallout 3, Fallout 4, Fallout 76, New Vegas. And I wanted to ask, how has writing for Starfield been different than writing for Fallout? <laughs> So, Starfield is a new franchise, it's a new adventure, it's a new universe for Bethesda. So I couldn't really start the same way I worked with Fallout, you know, or Elder Scrolls. It is a whole new story. So I had to scramble any idea or soundscape or, or melodic ideas or harmonic ideas that I had before. Yeah, I before. Just push them aside, yeah, sit down in the studio, and almost he just said start that. He like just said I never scored that. anything in my life. Well, and it was really interesting stuff, so because sure I always had something to go with. That's why I recognized him. Because um, every universe or every this, game somehow is connected to a different like, oh, oh. But this was something <laughs> totally new. So it was quite challenging Perfect. just to start from a clean slate page, awesome. <laughs> nothing there. This. And, Silent orbit. and this is actually the first uh, signature for Starfield, and if you hear the main theme for Starfield, this is how it starts. So that was a happy accident, which sometimes happens <laughs> to us. The music in Starfield is that it, it not only paints this wonderful audio picture of the different locations that we get to go to, but I think it also really plays a lovely role in musical cues throughout the game. Like when you level up, when you're taking off and you're going to See, a new planet, when something big is about to happen. Star, now, were those decisions that you made as a composer, or did you work with Maybe. someone closely at yeah, Bethesda to get those things you got plenty of time. You're not really receiving anything to work with. Actually, you are growing up with a team. So you write something, and you send it to them. And then they're listening to it, and it's like, oh, that's interesting, and they draw something to it. 
and then they're sending you know the drawing to you and you look at them and say oh wow that's really interesting and then you start writing different music or another and this is like it's going did he said he said it's Skyrim too and right? not something that oh here is our product because that's one of my main my favorite no, it's really the different the Dolkin song it's yeah, one of my favorite songs when you working with the sound team at Bethesda um, what was that experience like when say you were putting down a piece of music that you're like to you it sounded like this is landing on the moon perhaps and then you sent it to them and they came back and they said well actually it'll work better here Exactly, which happens a lot because, you know, when you're a composer, you don't get to work with the game. You don't see the game. You just write whatever you feel is going to be right for this scene, okay? And then they are taking the music and they start, you know, pasting them to places. And then many times, actually, if you know Neon City, um, whoever played Starfield. So one of the main hubs is Neon City. <laughs> and I wrote music for Neon City and that was what it is. But then I went to Bethesda and they showed me and they said, guys, I think it's wrong. I don't think it's <laughs> right music, it's too dark. Neon City is very alive. And, and they said, okay, so write another music. <laughs> and we're gonna put it somewhere else. And yeah, I ended up actually writing a complete different music for Neon City just because I saw it. So in computer games, there is a lot of hit and miss when it goes to what works and how it works. Again, so different than TV and movies. It's a whole new, um, I mean, a, a different world. And in Starfield, I'm glad you brought up Neon because you, do, you have three very distinct vibes in terms of like the main hub cities that you go to. You have New Atlantis, which is right. one of the first places you go to. You have Aquila City, right, and which is very like an old west frontier sort of place. Uh -huh. um, and then you have Neon. Right. So you really had to think in three different ways, correct? When you were, so, so what were the musical signatures really for so like- So to me, Neon started like Vegas, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Not wrong. You know, this is very shiny, it's very happening, but like we know, many times in the shiny and happening and, you know, happy places, all the dark and sinister things can happen. So I actually had to make Nian not as happy as we all see when we enter it the first thing. With Aquila it was easier because this is the Wild West. So just twang it on and I think it's gonna work. And with Atlantis, this is like sort of like your own hub. This is like the heart of the whole thing. This is where the ideas are coming from. And this is eventually where you're going to be launched from for your adventure. So that had to sound very classical, contained, but exciting. So in the process of writing all these different melodies, uh, you and I had talked, we talked many years ago about when you were working on Fallout, you had built instruments out of things that were available right. in the Fallout world, like you know, playing violin on a lawn chair or something. Right. Um, were there, were there cool. places in Starfield where you saw yourself doing that as well, where you were inventing instruments or playing instruments. Okay, so imagine to yourself like for Fallout, for example, since it's like a destroyed world, 
then I took like, you know, just artifacts, like a vase or a garden chair, and played on them because I thought this will sound very authentic because people love music, they love playing music, but everything got destroyed. So they, you know, banging their way out music, making music on anything else. They have, yeah. So on Starfield, I thought about it this way. Okay, so this is not what we have, we have space. How about, what will happen if we'll take a whole orchestra and put it in space? How will it sound? The first thing is tons of reverb because the sound just goes and since it doesn't have anything to reflect to, it goes far and far and never stops until it disappears. This is the first thing. Then think about, for example, the Doppler effect. So things are going and passing through. So you have like this, this kind of thing, all right? Well, I did apply some of these elements and effects on the orchestra that it sounds a little bit wavy and not straight. So just thinking about what will happen to an orchestra if you put it in space and how will it sound, this was sort of like the parallel of the, you know, the process that I went with Fallout musically. So when you when you brought these scores then to your orchestra, um, what was that experience like? Were you having to tell the trombone player he was going to have to play upside down? Or <laughs> no, they just played everything they know. But then you take it and you screw it up hard. <laughs> you take the sound and you use a lot of elements. Um, sometimes, for example, you'll take two of the same recordings and play them in a total different way through a different oscillators. And sometimes even you detune it a little bit and then you play together. So what you get is you get like the main orchestra and then you almost get like a reflection of the orchestra, but the reflection is very, very twisted. So it plays the same, but in a mirror. And that's what you get. It's all, it's a lot of illusions that you need to create in order to make and to achieve it. But this is all the work that we're doing in the studio and not out there in the recording. You want the musicians to play the music perfectly. Okay, because you have to do, you always need to start from the best recording. Was there any one location or type of planet or type of city that you did not get to score for, or perhaps did and you can't tell us about it yet, but you can at least tell us about maybe something we might get to hear or something that you wish that you had been able to do on Starfield? Well, actually, I had this wish and I must tell you, and you are the first people to hear it, um, so you're all under NDA. Um, I'll make you sign something. Exactly. Uh, we are on your way out. You'll have to sign a paper. Otherwise, we'll have to kill you. So you can decide whatever you want to do. We'll, uh, we'll feed you chunks. If you've played Starfield, you know all about chunks. So exactly. Um, so yeah, there's something I cannot really talk about it in details, but at some point. I, I said, Starfield I there. wish I could do something that not only going to be 
out there in space, but also a different afterlife kind of a thing. What? Okay. And I don't want to go too much into it, but um, we'll see. Wait and see, friends. You heard it here first. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that little bit of information. Yeah. That even surprised me. I didn't know that was coming. Thank you. I guess you got um, it. Now, when you were working on the score for Starfield, what was perhaps your favorite moment working on the score? I think, I mean, there are lots of favorite moments from the get-go to, you know, until now. And uh, for me and for you all, Believe me, the journey had just begun because Bethesda had created this amazing sandbox for you, but there's a lot to fill in with content, with details, and with more amazing stories. But still, I think that my favorite moment in Starfield was after meeting Todd Howard. Just sitting in the studio, putting my hand on the keyboard and come up with the first thing that I said, okay, I think that could be pretty cool signature for Starfield. And that was born early, early 2016. So eight years ago. And still, I think this moment was so far the, the best. So when we started off the panel this afternoon, we heard a very small clip from the Starfield Suite, which came out about two and a half years ago now. Mm -hmm. um, and you and I have talked at length about the Starfield Suite before, but this was really like your first, in some ways, like a proof of concept musically for what was going to come with Starfield. But you've also said that there are things in the suite that are not in the game. Is that correct? Well, they were not supposed to be in the game <laughs> because I wrote them freely. I did not write them to any script. I did not write them for anything that I was actually asked to write. But I just felt like writing them. And two and a half or three years later, Mark called me one day and says, like, you know what? I actually found great place for these and it said, no <laughs> So yeah, that's true. Now thinking about um, writing for a video game, I, I think there, there is some sort of misconception that writing for a video game is very similar to writing for say movies or television, but you've described a very interesting process to me when you write for a game because you feel like there's a lot more freedom there. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about that, to that idea. Yeah, so with video games, you are not locked to a picture. You are not locked to any scenario. You are, all you have to do is describe emotions. And this is why when you write music for video games, you are basically write freely like the old composers. And so you will write a piece that has a proper introduction, exposition, development, recapitulation, everything we learned at school when we went to, you know, to study and with separate themes and how to develop themes, all these classical techniques 
can be administered and done way easier in writing music for computer games than in film. And that's why the, I mean, the experience of writing music for video games, um, to me at least as a classical trained composer, was always very, very uh, rich and enriching. And then I think that idea for anyone, I don't know, how many of you have actually been to a video game music concert? Is there a show of hands? Okay, well, I see my friend in the vault suit here, definitely. Um, yeah, I, and I think that there is something about going to a concert like that when you're writing for a particular emotional experience. You definitely have a different kind of emotional experience when you go to these concerts. You're just like, you're drawn in, you get very, yes, we have this common shared experience of having played this game and enjoying this music together, but I do think that there's something to be said for writing from an emotional viewpoint versus writing for what you see on the screen. Exactly, and you can always score in two ways. One way is like you see something and you score it. I mean, you see a, like a, a, a forest and you sort of like emulate the, the wind in the forest. The birds and the, the birds yeah. and stuff. Usually this is not the way I'm working. I will ask the game producer, first before you tell me where I am, tell me why I am. Tell me the story. After you told me the story, then I understand what kind of emotions I need to, um, to project or to describe. This is the most important thing. Then, tell me when I am. Is it the past? Is it in the future? Present? Or if it doesn't matter at all? Okay? This is the, the second W. Only then tell me where I am which is to me only sort of like how I frame the music and not how I start. So these three W's, the first and the most important is the why. Tell me the story. You've shared with me before, and I'll let you grab a sip of water because we're definitely <laughs> flying through the Starfield. Um, you've shared with me before that your music for Starfield, you feel personally, is some of your best, that you are very, very proud of the work that you've done. Um, why? There's something about Starfield that it is, to me, the best I could put together as far as the combination of classical music, which is the traditional way of composing music, but also modern way to enhance it. Something about the music for Starfield is reminiscing on the past, almost saluting the past, huge composers like the classical composers and also great composers like you know John Williams, Jerry Goldsmith and others that Starfield definitely is taking notes um, but then taking all this world and put it through this window of Starfield so you look at it but then it's being projected through the lens of Starfield. No, so I feel look, that the balance that we were able to create, <laughs> and again together and with Bethesda, between the classical approach and the modern sound design approach in Starfield is unique 
and it also created something that is very signature for Starfield. When you hear the music for Starfield, it doesn't sound quite like other things. It could remind you a little bit of that. It could hint on something like that. But overall, it, the combination is something very unique for Starfield. So this is why I'm very proud of it. I think you've created a really iconic little six-note motive there at the very beginning because it's very. I, and, and this was in there was an article that recently came out that Xbox did with you, and they spoke about this as well. And I completely agree with the author that you can't look at anything from Starfield and not hear that na 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 sort of thing like there at the beginning. Well, again, you know, uh, but it, I, again, here I'll give you another scoop. Um, the NDA is still there? Yes, it's still there. You guys saw your NDA? Okay, very good. So, music? Um, Only two games. Actually, the theme, famous theme for Starfield, is not the theme for Starfield. Um, what? You've been lying to me this whole time. This whole time. So, when we started um, writing, then Todd Howard told me, like, all right, let's do the main theme. And I did the main theme. We had about like 20, 20 something versions of it. And then everybody says, all right, great, we have the main theme. That was 2017. Okay. And, okay, so roll credits, right? <laughs> Comes 2019, I'm getting a phone call from Todd. It's like, you know about the main theme? <laughs> and I'm like, what? That's, that's Todd. <laughs> We've worked on it like two years. Yeah, tell me, Todd. You know, I like it, I don't love it. And I'm like, you know, like when you see like like uh, clouds hovering, <laughs> or like an exclamation point just exactly goes off over your right. Head. And I was like, okay, I think I know what you mean. And in this very very same moment, what was the main theme for Starfield for two and a half years just got scrambled all together, and a whole new theme started. And that's the so two questions. So my first question for you, uh, that original main theme, does that pop up anywhere in the game? Or is it just... Actually, yes. It does? Yes. Where is it? Um, I'll tell you later. Okay, later. I'll find um, out later. <laughs> Okay. But no, I mean, definitely we have uh, the original main theme play. Okay. Um, not in a, the exact way, but the motif of it is repeating at least twice in the game. And then um, I could sing yeah. it to you. Okay, all right. Later. <laughs> Later. And, and then, and, and the the six note motive that you did come up with that we know. How did you? you how did you land you on tell that? Anybody? So uh, again, the six note. You know, if you, um, for me, it's like there's something about like to do sort of like combination between duality and three things. So to me, like the duality will be like do a three groups of notes. Ta -da, ta -da, ta -da. Okay, so this is one thing, and it always works because there's something about three that right. makes you like okay. When you do one thing, nobody knows. I'm cramping. When you repeat it once, okay, you start to get it. When you do it three times. This is not an accident. Okay, so you establish something. So there is something in theme that like a three part is really, really solid to create. But then going 
from a place and going back to the same place. So there is like a duality. I'm going somewhere and I'm going back. This is also something that I really love. Ta -da, ta this is we're here. Ta -da. We took a leap and then back. Ta -da. Okay, now when you harmonize it, you actually see that you start from a place, you take it anywhere you want, and then you come back. So thinking about all these things, then think about, it was so easy to take the theme and then adopt it to the space chord, if you remember that we talked about yeah. the three things, right? The, the awe, fear, the, the fear, and the excitement, okay? So I could take this, again, three groups and attach each of them to a different kind of feel, you know? It's just sometimes things in the puzzle fall in the right place and you don't really think about it, but then when you look at them back, oh, this is why it works so well. And, it, and it's lovely too, because it also goes along with the idea of we start at home, which for home is it's New Atlantis. Exactly. We go out there, we see Aquila City, we go out to the far reaches of the right. galaxy, and then- Don't tell them! Oh, sorry, spoilers. No, I won't tell you everything. I did finish the game, 150 hours of it, but I did play it. Okay. Um, yes, uh, and then you do end up wherever you decide where your home is going exactly. to be, exactly. whether that's Neon or Aquila City. Or, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So well, there's it's, it's something about the game um, that I really like to play around, and you know, and it becomes sometimes even mystic a little bit because there is something between the relationships between notes that when you're playing them, there is a certain emotion that is being evoked in your brain, sort of like in your head. And if you know how to maneuver them, um, you really could create a lot of subtleties with emotions. And with the Starfield music again, I think that some of it really played a big role for this. I love that the Starfield music, like you were saying earlier, it does sort of hint at a older musical sensibility. Um, being a classical music host, I mean, this is something I live in every single day. Um, so it's always interesting for me when I speak to a composer who's writing for a different kind of medium to know musically what your background was. Um, so how did you, what was your musical life like growing up? So um, I was born in Israel. And um, all my first, uh, <laughs> um, and uh, my first uh, 23 years, I, you know, I was in Israel. So all my musical background came in Israel. So again, there is a very strong um, musical foundation in Israel, which is coming from Europe. So I was really strong, you know, sort of like educated with the classical music but also the folk music right right so taking all this with me and coming over here I was already armed with a lot of background musical material that I could take here with me and start to learn okay so now we're in a new world let's see <laughs> what this world has to offer but I already was armed with some materials who were some of your favorite uh, classical composers growing up? So, um, I always start from Bach because he's so different than the way I'm thinking. He's so methodical and I'm so intuitive, you know. He's just 
everything falls in the right place, but it's such an amazing thing. And I, 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 it, I always start from that, okay? Then comes the other side of it, and it's Beethoven. He's wild, he's expressive, he's unexpected, he's everything, you know, genius like Bach, but totally on the other side of the spectrum. And then come people like Stravinsky and Prokofiev and Debussy and Ravel, who took these two very different worlds and put them together, each one of them, in a different way, different language and different culture. Okay, so talking about these kind of things, um, I love Brahms. <laughs> but that's besides. You, you and I and can Bojan. disagree. I'm not a big fan of Brahms, so you and I can agree to disagree on that. But yes. <laughs> the fourth. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll argue about it later. Um, so when I sit down and I listen to your music, I've, you know, I've, I've been enjoying your music for many, many years, going all the way back to you know Siberia and Star Trek Klingon Academy. Um, but I sit down and I listen to music from different periods in your career, things from like Prince of Persia and of course Fallout and Dragon Age, and then I listen to Starfield and I go, how can this all come from the same composer? Um, and I know that you keep yourself very musically flexible across your musical palette. How do you do that? Um, I, you know, I think it's not that hard because you, the easiest thing to do is to soak yourself in a great story and a great setting. And one of the things that I have, I'm like a sponge. I could hear a story, I could see a picture, and then things comes, comes to mind and sort of like translate themselves into music. Well, think about it. Right now, when we're sitting here, we hear so many things. We hear the background noise, we hear the blubbering that I'm doing right now, where, you know, we hear like maybe here and there a speaker playing music. We hear all of that. Now, everybody just hears it and forget it. Now, the unfortunate, you know, um, destiny for a composer is these things are actually being stored. And we never really forget a melody. We never really forget a sound. It's somewhere there. So I think that one of the things is when you hear a story, when you see a picture, when you imagine a world, then automatically like a compartment in this huge, you know, garage here, you know, is opening, a drawer is opening and things coming out. So you don't really think about it, but it's just there. And that's why to be prolific is actually to listen to tons of stuff, be able to store it, and then be able to spew it back with your own touch. Which is, again, a lot of practice. A lot of practice, a lot of discipline. I always say that to be a successful composer, maybe it's like 20% just like raw talent, the rest of it is hard work and discipline. Without hard work, discipline and way to work with, it's just never really gonna happen. Very much like a novel writer, almost in that respect, in that you're constantly observing and storing. Exactly, yeah. You know, and we are all, this is the thing about it. Think about each one of you. 
you always listen to something. You always, but you sometimes things just go away. You know, you let things go. Instead of it, if you could choose what to treasure, what to keep in your mind, and then take this and work it as a almost like a doll, like 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 something that you could work with, like a you know Play-Doh. Um, this is one of the things that people who create stuff do. We never really invent anything. We don't write music. We don't invent music. We compose music. And composing is not creating. Composing is taking components out there that are here and putting them together in a way that our emotions are influencing them, okay? So that's why we are not a creator. There is only one creator, okay? We just take things that are out there or in there, let them out and putting them together. So we are almost out of time, believe it or not. However, I do have one more question for you. Um, and you already did drop one exclusive reveal for us uh, this afternoon. Um, so if you oh, all... you didn't forget about it? Oh, no, 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 of course not. I hope nobody heard. No, nothing. As long as you still have your NDAs on you, yeah. uh, I wanted to ask you, um, I know that, you know, the video game world, the entertainment world can be notoriously secretive. We're not allowed to talk about anything coming up anytime soon. However, what do you have coming up next or soon? <laughs> so... <laughs> Wow. <laughs> not at all, not at all. <laughs> so there, there, I mean, I could allude to two in, uh, things that obviously I cannot really talk about, but there is an amazing adventure games that comes next year um, that I'm very proud uh, to be the composer for it, you know, and so just look for in a month or two that I could start talking about, uh, but also, <laughs> there is an unannounced TV, live action TV show that I'm going to be start um, working on very soon. And it's unannounced. So if you think about an announced show, it's not that. So he's not um, talking about It's an about unannounced Fallout. show uh, for a very, very beloved video game. Okay, all right, so do listen out, look Elvis out Rose. for that. I know you'll be able to talk We're about that soon. Very soon, stay tuned. Yes, it's exciting. Well, I just want to give a big thank you uh, to you, of course, Enon. Thank you so much. Thank you much. so much. Um, a big thank and you. And thank you guys yeah, for having me. To my friends here in the audience, to Los Angeles yeah. Comic Con, to our friends at BMI and Bethesda. Thank you so, so much. Thank you, Enon. It's of course. Thank you, guys. Thank you for being here.